He was grandson and brother to two beloved kings, not being trusted by his monarch, always kings. Never a man so beloved and so reviled. He was moody, hot-tempered, and a little wild. Rider of Caraxes, dark sister his sword, the commander of the gold cloaks, was a great lord. He was a fearsome warrior and a great knight, like rider, like dragon, they both loved a great fight. The ambitious hand he both hated and despised, plotted and schemed, and had him exiled and chastised. To prove his worth, the stepstones he would seek to grab, by defeating Kragas Trehar, feeder of crab. Through war he earned the name King of the Narrow Sea, then gave his crown to his brother and bent the knee. Again he was exiled to go live with his wife, which led to Rhea Royce for feeding her short life. He tried to live in Pentos, a life not of worth, until his second wife died in painful childbirth. He married his niece Rhaenyra to stand by her side. Later his brother, King Viserys, sadly died. He feared his family might soon be in danger. His fears came true when Luke was sent to the stranger. Rhaenyra then grieved and was shaken to her core to avenge her dead child. Will he now go to war? Says Ion Brozy Exos, Diamond Targaryen and his name is Damon Targaryen. This is a watch party of ice and fire. That intro was from Uzma with the help of our lady tyrant, Morrigan. Uh, we are your hosts, Solar. Valar Morgulis. Constance. Many evening blessings to you. Uzma. Ritza Sejourna. And myself, Sam. In this podcast, we will be talking everything and anything a world of ice and fire. In this episode, we are talking about Damon's journey throughout the House of the Dragon series and comparing that with his journey in the books. So while we won't be going into anything in the books past what we've seen in the show, this is your book spoiler warning. Be sure to listen and pay close attention as you can elevate your maester's rank and win links and prizes by listening to the podcast and answering our trivia. Before we get into the episode, we're starting with our segment for the love of lore, where I will be going over anything and everything involving history, culture, and customs in the War of Ice and Fire. The council will then discuss the lore and how it affects the current episode. In today's lore, we're talking about the Valyrian Steel Sword, Dark Sister. Uh, as I just said, Dark Sister is the legendary Valyrian Steel Sword. It's one of two ancestral blades of House Targaryen next to Blackfire. Um, it was forged for a warrior woman. It is a light, thin blade. Uh, the rain guard looks like a dragon with wings. Um, on the pommel in the book art, it looks like there's a flame at the end of it. And then in the show, uh, it looks like maybe a dragon egg of some kind. Um, also in some of the book art, we see like a gem in the middle of the rain guard. But in the show, there's just silver there. Um, it's not said out loud, but this sword throughout history has been bestowed upon the greatest Targaryen fighter at that time. Uh, some of the history of this sword, uh, the sword started with Visenya. Uh, she had it before the conquest and probably before she even, well, we're not sure if it actually came with the Targaryens to Westeros or if it was forged on Dragonstone, but we do know that it was around before the conquest. 
Uh, she's one of the most well-known warrior women. Uh, the sword was most likely forged for her. We don't know, like I said. Um, and it was used throughout Aegon's conquest. Uh, a couple of Dornish assassins attempted to murder her during the First Dornish War. Um, there was also two assassination attempts from the Dornish against Aegon. Uh, Aegon proclaimed that his guards were good enough even after these assassination attempts. Uh, but Visenya took her blade out as fast as possible and cut Aegon's cheeks before any of the guards could react, which then brought, um, brought on Visenya to establish the King's Guard. From there, the sword was passed down to Visenya's son, Magor, when he was 13. Um, when Aenys I became king, he also gave Magor Blackfire as well. Uh, Magor ended up wielding Blackfire and just leaving Dark Sister on Dragonstone. Um, after Visenya died during Magor's reign, Alyssa Velaryon, uh, Aenys' widow, actually dipped out of Dragonstone, taking her son Jaehaerys along with Dark Sister and... Uh, Jaehaerys' sister, Alysanne. Jaehaerys then wielded Dark Sister, claiming himself king, and uh, soon after, Magor died, giving Jaehaerys the throne. From there, Balon the Brave uh, was the next wielder of the sword. Um, Jaehaerys, it, this He was Jaehaerys' son. Um, used the sword to avenge his brother Aemon's death. Uh, killed a bunch of Mirish exiles who were invading Tarth at the time, but unfortunately, Balon the Brave died of a burst belly, leaving Dark Sister with no owner. Um, the next person to have Dark Sister was Daemon Targaryen, given to him by Jaehaerys for his prowess. As we've seen, he is a great warrior. Uh, the sword rarely leaves his side, as we saw all throughout the show. Dark Sister was usually right next to him at all times. Um, he used his sword to command the city watch, conquered the step zones, and as we saw, behead or cut Vayman's head in half. I don't know, whichever you want, you want to say it. Um, and then a little bit further down the Targaryen line, eventually the sword came to Aemon the Dragon Knight. Uh, this, uh, this sword was, or Aemon was one of the most like legendary knights throughout all of Westeros. He is the son of Viserys II, who we saw as a baby in the show. Uh, and he is the brother of Aegon the Unworthy. He received the sword after accomplishments in tourneys, um, took King Car King's Guard vows at 17 and served under his brother Aegon III. Uh, also saw as a baby in the show, or sorry, not brother, his uncle, Aegon III. Uh, he also served under Daeron I, Baelor I, and his father Viserys II, and finally his brother Aegon IV the Unworthy. This uh, He had this sword until he died defending his brother Aegon the, the Unworthy from assassinations from House Toyne. Um, after this, the next wielder of the sword was Brynden Rivers, a.k.a. Bloodraven, a.k.a. the Three-Eyed Raven. Uh, it was bestowed upon him, but he preferred the his Weirwood longbow. Uh, he still wore Dark Sister around King's Landing, probably more as an intimidation tactic. Um, he was part of the Great Bastards, uh, the bastards that were legitimized by Aegon the Unworthy that started the Blackfire Rebellions. Uh, Brennan Rivers remained loyal to the Targaryens during the Blackfire Rebellions, and after the Third Rebellion, Brennan actually murdered Aenys Blackfire, basically ending those rebellions after promising him safety. Um, Aegon V, aka Egg, uh, had to send him to the Wall for this crime. 
Now from here, we're not really entirely sure what happened with Dark Sister. Um, it's mainly thought that Brennan actually took Dark Sister to the wall with him. Uh, from there, he became Lord Commander and then went missing after ranging beyond the wall. Um, so now we're not really sure where Dark Sister is. Is it beyond the wall? Is it hiding somewhere else? Um, just like Blackfire's whereabouts, it is unknown. Uh, my favorite theory that I saw that I that's just not true at all, but I kind of love the theory, was some people think that Longclaw is actually Dark Sister. Uh, this doesn't work at all because the Mormons have had... Um, have had Longclaw for 500 years. Uh, and George R. R. Martin even came out himself and said that this just cannot be the case. While there's potential for lies from George and the story, I highly doubt that that's the case, but I think it'd be pretty cool if Longclaw ended up being Dark Sister in some weird way. But what do you all think of the sword Dark Sister and how it works in the show? Uh, Solar, we'll start with you. Oh yeah, just call me out. All right, that that works. Um, <laughs> and by the way, hello everybody. Sorry about my absence. So since I so since we're pulling the all right, you've been gone. So let let's call on you first. <laughs> type thing. I'm sorry, I brought a doctor's note. No, um, didn't mean to make it so <laughs> obvious. It's okay. Be better. Be better. You know. Be more subtle. <laughs> this is a show about a song of ice and fire. Um, <laughs> so I like to real- take the Otto Hightower approach to things. Boo! So- <laughs> Boo! Oh wait, sorry. <laughs> Fuck that guy. No. Um, Dark Sister is a fantastic sword. It really is fantastic sword. Um, personally, I've always had a thing for one-handed long swords. Um, specifically because you can hold two of them if you got two functioning hands. Um, and one, what can I say? It's original, it's original wielder is proof that I have terrible taste in women. So, um, not to mention the place where it ended up is in the hands of my favorite character from all of the lore. So in my, in my honest opinion, um, I want to see a series that tracks that sword as much as we're tracking that stupid dagger. You know, that, that's uh-huh. what I got to say on that one. Um, I think that it was probably crafted for Visenya because the name Dark Sister just encapsulates who she was and, and, and what she was. Well, it so couldn't be named Hot that, Sister. so You know, we married one for duty, married the other for love. Um, but the the just the fact that she was this outstanding warrior and its name dark sister kind of indicates that it was made forged for her uh probably on dragonstone when they they still had people that knew how to do that kind of thing you know um so that's that's cool it's a cool sword i mean we we were when uh Solar Morgan and I went to the um, exhibit at the LA Natural History Museum and they had a replica of Dark Sister there from the show. And yeah, it was definitely a dragon's egg on on the pummel there. So that was kind of a neat touch. And the blade was all worked with what I'd say a Damascus pattern. Would that be accurate? Yes. Yeah, it was worked in a Damascus style. Although you could tell that the sword wasn't actually forged, but printed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it was just a replica so well, it wasn't it was like the best it was they could do it. man it was a museum it was, display. Be- it was a traveling museum exhibit it wasn't like it was the actual sword from the series right so it was pretty cool up close but uh uzma this is your this is probably your favorite sword isn't it you can see how much uh Damon uh uses and values that sword every single in every single say, uh, scene of Damon, you can see he's carrying that sword with him 
he never leaves it behind when even when he is resting or is relaxed and i love how in this series even the swords have their own stories like how many great warriors the swords have passed to one of the very interesting th- theories that i wanted to discuss was uh, that the sword uh, Re- mira uses when she, uh, when they have to escape from the cave uh, that the sword is uh, yeah that's the sword from house of the dragon in game of thrones the design was different but the popular theory was that that brendan riven took it with him to the cave and uh, mira picks it up when the cave is attacked by the white walkers and uh, she protect uses that sword to protect bran so it's a really cool theory uh, that uh, the sword will eventually be used to protect the three next three eyed raven what do you guys think uh, could it ha- have been dark sister Honestly, yeah i like that theory yeah there's a lot of smoke there but there's some fire I think it's more likely to have like be like a thing in the books. I think for sure, I could totally see that, or at least point it out more in the books. I guess. Yeah, because it's not like, um, like you've got Jorah Mormont, or sorry, um, not Jorah, but his father, um, taking Darkclaw up to the wall with him. Why would Blood Raven do any different when it comes to his, you know, not just his familial sword, but his personal sword? I mean. Him getting that sword, um, being a legitimized bastard, says a lot. <laughs> it, it really says a lot. And I don't think he'd be like, well, stuck, stopped another coup, so now I'm off to join the Foreign Legion. Look after this for me. That that doesn't... It, it, it would track if there was some word of Dark Sister in the histories post the Fourth Blackfire Rebellion, you know? So, yeah, it, it definitely tracks that he took it up there with him. And um, I could see Mira using it to protect Brand. I, I can see that. So, yeah, I, I like the theory. George R. R. Martin had confirmed that he took it beyond the wall with him. And where else could it be? If he went to the caves, it should go with him. Oh, you know, he might have left it with Craster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take this to, perse- to protect your incest babies. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. But uh, can Craster really get along with Brendan Rivers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that is our For the Love of Lore segment. Uh, next, we have our Portrait of a Character segment, where we will talk about our character's journey throughout House of the Dragon and compare that to the books. Uh, this week, Uzma will be talking about Damon. All you, Uzma. Damon was born in 81 AC to Balon and Elisa Targaryen. He had two brothers, Viserys and Aegon, although Aegon died in infancy. Fun fact. Both of Damon's sons have the same name as his brothers, Aegon and Viserys. So it does feel like he really loved his brothers. <laughs> when Damon was 16, he was knighted by his grandfather, King Jaehaerys, and was given his sword, Dark Sister, in recognition of his prowess. In 97 AC, that is the same year Rhaenyra was born, the good Queen Alison, aka Damon's grandmother, made him marry uh, his wife, his first wife, Rhea Royce, but he disliked both his wife and the whale. He called her his bronze, bronze bitch. Now we get to the first scene of the show. During the Great Council of 101 AC, Damon had gathered an army of swords and men-at-arms to support his brother Viserys's claim 
बिकॉज द र्यूमर्स वर गोइंग अराउंड दैट द सी स्नेक एक है लॉर्ड खॉर्लेस ही वॉज डूइंग द सेम टू सपोर्ट हिज साइड्स क्लेम इन द बुक्स इट्स वॉट इट वॉज लेनोर एंड ऑन द शो इट वॉज रेनिस इन द एंड विसेरस हैड वॉन वेन विसेरस बिकेम किंग डेमन पटिशन हिम टू सेट असाइड हिज मैरिज टू रेयर रॉयस विच विसेरस रिफ्यूज बट ही अलाउड डेमन टू रिटर्न टू किंग्स लैंडिंग एंड सर्व ऑन द स्मॉल स्मॉल काउंसिल डेमन वॉज फर्स्ट नेम्ड मास्टर ऑफ कॉइन देन मास्टर ऑफ लॉज एंड इवेंचुअली लॉर्ड कमांडर ऑफ द सिटी वॉच which was where we which was where we see demon in the first episode or to hightower was the one who convinced viserys to have demon removed from these posts and in the first episode we see him trying to do the same when he tries to convince viserys to remove him from the city watch and viserys gets mad and says i named him master of laws you said he was a tyrant as master of coin you said he was a spendthrift that would beggar the realm Why do you think? What do you think about Damon and Otto's rivalry? Otto claimed Damon would be a second Megor. Do you think he really cares about the realm, or is he just trying to get rid of Damon? What do you think, Constance? I think Damon is the one person that sees through Otto's bullshit, and yeah. uh, Viserys is torn between his most loyal advisor and his beloved brother, but. he knows that Damon has no experience in politics or ruling whereas Otto does so that's why he usually sides with Otto because he thinks Otto knows best um but would he have been Megor no i don't think he would have been anywhere <laughs> near as weird or as sadistic as Megor the cruel was um sam yeah i think that i i think that he mainly just wanted to get rid of Damon i think it was or or that um yeah that Otto wanted to get rid of Damon i think that they like their rivalry rivalry is very much known and Damon is definitely like the only one who was calling Otto out on his on his bullshit in the show and in the book but um i think that Otto probably cares about the realm a little bit but i think it's more like a 90 to 5% split probably so yeah i think he just wanted to get the one guy who was like <laughs> a prick in his side for a while so yeah solar The rivalry between those two, I'm going to put my bias aside for just a second and to say, yeah, um auto um number 1, the best lies consist of 80% truth. Okay? Um I'm pretty sure that Otto did care about the realm and would not didn't have any faith that Damon would rule it wisely or kindly that being said um that is also a great jumping off point for otto's ambitions excuse me which was really reflective in why the lords voted for viserys to be king in the first place um the dude was his majesty the pushover You know, uh Princess Ray Ray was not going to be like that and Damon was um as Constance said, the only one who saw through Otto's bullshit and the only one that gave so few fucks about decorum that he would call out the bullshit and rule like a tyrant. Maybe not a malevolent tyrant, <laughs> but a tyrant yet still. <laughs> um because um what i saw especially in the portrayal on the tv show which was brought out 
really well, in my opinion, was um, they could see each other in the same way that Varys and Littlefinger saw each other. And um, Otto having his position of power was like, if I'm going to lose, it's not going to be to a guy like that. <laughs> and Damon kind of going, when lose, I'm going to kill you eventually. You know, I, I could that that's very much what I see in their rivalry, you know. So, yeah. Does Otto care about the realm? He does. He, he really does. Not as much as he cares about his ambition and his position in court. And his family's position in history. Um, kind of like a proto-Tywin Lannister, except not nearly as cool, you know. That, that that's what I can see. I think uh, both understand each other very well because uh, when uh, Damon heard the news about Viserys' death, he knew that uh, Otto would send uh, someone, uh, some assassins to try to kill them. And that's what uh, Otto did. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I think those two really understood the stakes and the game better than anyone else playing, yeah. which is why they were just butting against each other. It's it's that Superman and Lex Luthor thing of hmm. if you guys teamed up, you could save the world and solve all of its problems. <laughs> but, you know, since you're not going to, it's going to be a bitter rivalry worthy of story. Hey. One that people might want to make a TV show about. <laughs> then we get to see who Damon really was on the show. He loved his niece Rhaenyra, so he brought her gifts from his tra travels. He loved fighting and he was great in the tourneys. He had his own sense of justice, so he punished thieves, rapists and murderers, but in horrible ways. He was also at odds with Otto, mostly because he saw through what Otto really was, that is, a greedy, ambitious man, too close to his brother and manipulating his, him to get what he wants. At least that's what I think. <laughs> After Queen Emma and Prince Balon's death, Otto Hightower reports to, to Viserys that Damon called Prince Balon an heir for a day. So Viserys con confronts Damon. When Damon tries to warn Viserys that his council of leeches about his council of leeches and calls him weak, Viserys exiles him and names Rhaenyra as his heir. We need to remember that it was Otto who de delivered the news that Damon called the baby an heir for a day, but we never actually saw Damon say it. We've already discussed whether we really believed in Otto uh, or whether uh, he had he just made it up in our episode 1 discussion, so make sure to check it out. Damon gets mad when Viserys exiles him and names Rhaenyra as his heir. He takes Missaria and goes to Dragonstone. In the books, they stay at Dragonstone for half a year. Damon claims Missaria is pregnant and tries to give a dragonet egg to her. Now, this is where uh, the story goes in a different direction from the books. In the books, at least according to the maesters writing the history records, Missaria, Missaria really got pregnant and got an egg from Daemon. Viserys got mad and ordered Daemon to give the egg back and return to his lawful wife, Rhea Royce, or be named a traitor. So Daemon sent Missaria back to Lys and flew back to the whale. But on the way, during a storm, Missaria lost the child. When Daemon got the news, 
his heart hardened against his brother and ever since then he only spoke with disdain about his brother Viserys on the show we are shown that it was all a lie and Damon lied about Missaria's pregnancy and returned the egg to Rhaenyra when she came to retrieve it from him and then he went to and then he went back to the whale so Missaria was never pregnant and her losing the child was probably just an excuse to explain why there was no baby later what do you guys think about it do you think it really happened in the books uh, uh, Damon was just acting so fear, so much that uh, they really believed him that he was that mad at Viserys. What do you guys think, uh, Sam? Uh, I'm not really sure. I don't. I don't know if Damon was ever like mad at Viserys. More, I feel like he was more just maybe a little jealous of his position every now and then. Um. But I don't know. I don't think he was ever mad. I don't think he, like, I think he, anything that he did that was kind of, like, not the coolest, it was kind of him in his head more, like, ribbing against Viserys, I guess. I don't know. I don't think he was ever really that that mad at him, though, honestly. Um, yeah. Solar, what about you? Um, well, first off, um... One thing that we have come to know about the history of this story is that the maester's words are never to be trusted unless they have something to gain at the moment that they say the words. Um, so do I think that it was a lie? Um, it would stand to reason. Because um, given that, remember, this isn't an official history. This is a... This is the first three years of Wikipedia of the history of Westeros. You know, I knew a guy that said this type of thing. Um, so honestly, I believe the lie of Lady Misery being pregnant. I would say that tracks with what we've seen of Daemon Targaryen, especially and... I think this is an addition for the show, something I like a lot, um, which is Damon never denies anything. You know, as soon as as soon as you accuse him of something, he's like, yeah, what if it's true? You know, but never tells <laughs> you right out, you know. Um, so was it a lie? Well, what if it was? Uh, <laughs> um, you know, was it true? Well, what if it was? You know, so... <laughs> You know, given that, it could really go either way, but I would actually trust that it was a lie, given that I believe um, Damon's lack of denial over anything that the maesters say about someone that's unpopular in court. I think he likes uh, adding a sense of danger to it. <laughs> what about you, Constance? I think that the maesters went with what they knew to be true. Right. Damon claimed she was pregnant. Okay. Well, possibly. So that was what got written down. You know, whether or not it was true or a lie, that's what they perceived as the truth. That's why it got into the histories. Uh, if she lost the baby, that isn't too surprising considering how difficult childbirth is in Westeros. And it would be a convenient excuse as to why she didn't have the child. And it could be a way of explaining, you know, the Damon and Viserys uh, 
coldness between each other, why it's been so many years since the two of them were really reconciled. But I think it was yeah. all like, this just makes sense. Let's go with this. You know, <laughs> there may there may or may not have been truth to it, but it just was a sensible story. So they went they went for it. Uh, so that's that's my opinion. Okay. Uh, then in 106 AC came the Stepstones War. Corlys asked for Daemon's help to deal with the Triarchy to protect his ships. Now that's where things differ from the books again. On the show, this war goes on for three years and Viserys ignored the war entirely. Uh, the, he ignored this war this entire time only to offer help at the end of it. And Daemon got really mad, beat up the messenger and fought Triarchy on his own. Lenor Velaryon also helped uh, by uh, bringing sea smoke to the fight. In the books, the war went on for only two years, and Viserys supported Daemon's efforts with regular infusions of gold. In the, in the end, Daemon slayed the enemy's leader, Kragas Drehar, aka the Crab Feeder, with his sword, Dra Dark Sister. Then Daemon shows up in the throne room as King of the Narrow Sea, when Viserys asks, uh, asks him if he has styled himself king, Daemon says he was named king of the Narrow Sea and gives his crown to Viserys, Benstani, and makes peace with him. According to the big books, it was Daemon who declared himself king and it was Sir uh, Corlys Villarion uh, who crowned him. Uh, which one do you think is true? Do you think he was named king by, uh, by the others? Or did he name himself? What do you think, uh, Solar? That's a hard one. Because, again, he denies nothing. Uh, um, <laughs> so, in truth, honestly, I think that he was named king and said, yeah, fine. Because, <laughs> you know. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I can see. Because, again, the fact that he denies no allegations... Um, kind of makes him sort of like the most Zen villain of anything. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, that, that that's the thing. Yeah, sure. That, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you're now king of the step zone. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take the opposite viewpoint. I think that he named himself king partly out of uh, his desire to be in charge of something, anything. Right, because he had been put into one position and then he got kicked out of that. He was got put into another position on the Smoke Hills and then he got kicked out of that. Then they tried to take him away from being captain of the city guard. Then they kicked him out of the city altogether, so he wasn't able to do that. So I think here's a chance for him to go, look, I did this. This is me. This is my <laughs> crown. I earned this. Uh, I think that's the case in point for this one. The, what do you, what are you, where do you fall, Sam? Where do you, tie, where do you break the tie? I don't know. I guess, like, I, I kind of feel like he was probably named, but there was, like, kind of a few things. Like, they were about to mutiny against him, and then, you know, they took out the step zones, and then, then they're just going to name him king of the step zones. But at the same time, he did, like, you know, um, Leroy Jenkins in there and, like, take over <laughs> the whole situation. So, like, maybe that's why they would name him king of the step zones. Also, I think, and then, like, other part is, like, It'd be weird for him to name himself King of the Stepstones just to give up his crown as King of the Stepstones. I don't know. I'm going to go with that he got named it. I think that that makes... Yeah. I could totally see the other way, though, because, like, you know, Damon being Damon, so... 
Well, you know, by saying that Leroy Jenkins, like he did the opposite because, you know, he went in Leroy Jenkins, but then he won. <laughs> he didn't wipe oh, the yeah. party. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was still probably somebody in the background being like, what the fuck, Damon? But, you know. Background, I, I think pretty many- much the whole um, Valerian fleet was like, what <laughs> is he doing? <laughs> you know what? Fine. He'll go kill himself. Where's the dragon? Where's the dragon? Where's the dragon? Okay, moving on. Damon stayed in King's Landing for some time. Once again, uh, things go in a different direction from the books. On the show, Damon had Rhaenyra dress up as a page boy, sneaks her out of the castle to go watch a play before taking her to a brothel. There, they start to get intimate, but Damon starts feeling guilty and leaves Rhaenyra. After that, Rhaenyra returns to her chambers and seduces Christian Cole. In the books, there are two different accounts of what happened. Septon Eustace, who was a Green supporter, claimed that uh, Damon seduced Rhaenyra and then they were caught in bed together by Sir Arik Cargill. Rhaenyra insisted she was in love with Damon and asked her father to let her marry marry Damon. Viserys reminded her that he already had a wife and exiled him. Damon went back to the Stepstones. Mushroom, on the other hand, claims that Rhaenyra wanted Christian Cole and Damon offered to teach her in the womanly arts so she could seduce Christian Cole. He taught her kissing and many other things, which, according to Mushroom, included him, also included him sometimes. He claimed, he also claimed that Damon took her to the brothels to observe and learn from the horse. When Viserys hears about it, he refuses to believe it. But until it, uh, Damon says, give the girl to me, who else would marry her now? <coughs> and then Viserys exiles him. So which version do you think is true? What do you think really happened in the books? Also, what's wrong with Mushroom? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Mushroom is perfect. Yeah, there is mushroom nothing. Mushroom only speaks mushroom. the truth. <laughs> you clean your mouth out, okay? He's perfect. <laughs> In every tiny little way. Mushroom is full of umami. <laughs> Make America mushroom again, okay? <laughs> yeah, honestly, uh, on that front, yeah, what do I think happened? I think it happened exactly the way Mushroom said. Because Mushroom is the only reliable narrator in the entirety of this book. <laughs> so if he said it, that's how it went down. That is that is where I stand. I think she was like, hey, I want to get with my Kingsguard, but I'm a little clumsy. And Damon said, oh, well, come on down, meet some friends of mine, and they'll show you what to properly do with butter. And that is, and that's the way it happened. <laughs> you know. And in the meantime, practice, practice with Mushroom, get a little saute stay action going, because who's going <laughs> to believe him? Or you can always do what I do and just don't deny anything. Don't confirm, but don't deny either. Constance? Uh, wow. Yeah, you can't. I love Mushroom to death. He's the best. Um, <laughs> but it's just such a lurid version of what happened that I think the truth is somewhere in the middle, kind of like what they did in the show where she wanted to seduce mm-hmm. Christian Cole, but had no idea. But I don't think that she went through the exact level of training that Mushroom insinuates. Uh, I also don't see her having uh, slept with Damon at this point in the story. I don't think their relationship was, was fully bonded to where they would have sex together. 
not for another couple of years at least. So I'm going to go with the show gets it more right than either Eustace or Mushroom in this case with a combination of both. Um, Sam? Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a bit of both. I, like Mushroom has me until he says that he also joined in and then it just loses me completely. But uh, no, it, it's. I think the show does get it probably in the middle somewhere. Like I, I feel like the whole like training sexually thing is like, it, that's like a bit much. Like that's, a, I, I don't see Rhaenyra being like, oh yeah, I need to like learn the arts or something. Like that seems a bit, a bit far-fetched. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is like somewhere in the middle. Like she was probably into Damon, and then went back to her her chambers and Chris and Cole, who was like at the time not a dickhead, and she was like, "Yeah, le- like le- let's go at it." So I think it's definitely like a little middle ground for sure. Yeah. In 115 AC, while Damon was in Stepstones, his first wife Rhea Royce died falling from her horse and cracking her head on the stone. She lingered for nine days when she felt, and when she felt well enough to get off her bed, she collapsed within an hour. When Damon got the news, he flew straight to the whale to put his beloved wife to rest and tried to lay claims to her lands, castles and incomes, but Runestone had passed to her nephew. When he made an appeal to the Irie, his claim was dismissed by Lady Jane. Do you think Damon had something to do with her death? In the books, at least. Mm, Sam? Uh, probably, yeah. I think he did. I think he was like looking to get out of that marriage and I, I think in the books it's also very heavily implied that he probably murdered a couple people more so than in the show like I think I think that Rayo was probably on the top of that list like it was very well known that he was not a fan of the Eerie was not a fan of her and I think he saw an opportunity and he took it so yeah but he was also in the Stepstones at that time he had a dragon he had a dragon yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He could have been in. He could have been in. Like he could have been north of the wall, and I'd still think he went and, and murdered Rhea. <laughs> no, I don't think he killed her. I think that he was conveniently forgetting about her as much as he could, and put her as far out of his mind as he possibly could. And then she dies, and he goes, "Oh, hey, that's convenient! Yay!" Uh, but I don't think he killed. What does mushroom claim? No. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> No, honestly, um, I agree wholeheartedly with Constance, actually. Um, I think he was like, you know what? That's my wife. She's over there. And as long as she's over there, I don't have to think about it. Oh, wait, she's dead? Yeah. Can I have her stuff? <laughs> you know, that, that's really, that, that's what I saw. I mean, sure, he, he had a dragon. You know, good old long neck could have taken him over to the veil real quick and he could have been like, hey, look at that horse. Um, You know, hey, look, she Mm -hmm. fell off the horse. Let me just grab a rock real quick. All right. Now I'm going to go back to war because who cares if I'm covered in blood? It's plausible. Mm -hmm. However, um, given how much he hated the veil, what would he have to gain by doing that? You know, true. I mean, I'm I'm from the Rainstone? philosophy of never apply to uh, never accredit to malice that which can be proven or um, um, accredited to incompetence. But Damon is not an incompetent character. 
So do you think it was a lie that he made claim uh, to the whale? Oh, oh no, 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 no. That's that's tradition. It, it's that's true. You know, she has it. She dies. It's supposed to go to him. That's standard law, and kind of foreshadowing with the rest of this freaking war. But, um, but I mean, it's like I didn't like her. I didn't like being married here. I didn't. I, I didn't. I don't like the area. But what's mine is mine. You know, and that's. That's a big thing that happens in in Westeros all the time, from Damon to Stannis to um, whoever else uh, feels in uh, to Tyrion and freaking um, Casterly Rock. I mean, it's all there. You know, I mean, people may hate stuff, but it's still theirs to hate. So yeah, I don't think he killed her. I really don't. Plus, Mushroom didn't say that he killed her, so. <laughs> <laughs> He would have had an opinion if he had. Exactly. Mushroom knows everything. Because it wasn't in King's Landing. If it happened in King's Landing, he wouldn't know. (laughs) (laughs) So on his way back from the whale, he stopped at Driftmark to make a courtesy call to Lord Corliss and saw Lena for the first time, at least in the books. On the show, Damon sees Lena during the wedding of uh, Rhaenyra and Lenor, which he doesn't attend in the books. Now here comes the inter- interesting part. Lena was betrothed to the son of a Bravosi lord, but the, after the Bravosi lord died, his son squandered away all the family assets and money and showed up at Driftmark. Lacking any graceful way to get out of the marriage pact, Corlys kept postponing the ma- wedding. And Damon, being the helpful, nice guy he is, he decides to take matters into his own hands. Damon mocks that. Um, uh, Damon mocks him uh, so savagely that the boy has no other choice but to challenge him. And using Dark Sister, Damon gets rid of Lord Corlys's pr- problem and marries Lena. Damon knew Viserys would get uh, ha- angry, uh, and he decided to flee. I mean. Leave Westeros with Lena on an extended honeymoon. <laughs> there she gave, <laughs> there she gave birth to her twin daughters, Bella and Rena. In the books, they travel to many other free cities from, re- and before return, uh, before returning to Pentos, where Lena gives birth to the twin daughters. And once the twins were half a year old, they returned to Driftmark from High Tide. Damon sent a raven to Viserys, asking to present his nieces at court to receive his royal blessing, and the brothers were reconciled. Later, Lena dies in childbirth, giving birth to a son. In her, in her last charge, she tries to reach Vegar to fly one last time, but she collapse, collapses on the steps and dies. Damon carries her to her be- bed. On the show, they stayed at the palace of the Prince of Pentos for a, for a decade. Lena was pregnant again, and when she couldn't bear the pain of the childbirth, childbirth anymore, she went to Vegar and had Vegar burn her alive. Damon returns to Westeros for Lena's funeral and hooks up with Rhaenyra at night. When the fight breaks out between the Greens and the Blacks, after Aemon claims Vagar, Damon jumps in to protect Rhaenyra and her children and stops Christian Cole. In the books, in the same year, Lenor goes to a fair in Spice Town where he, stabbed to, he was stabbed to de- death. 
some say it was a household knight and some say it was his lover and companion karl uh, khori a ship was waiting for him and after escaping he was never seen again the merchants told told lord corlys that two men had been quarreling loudly before the blades were drawn on the show demon helps renira fake lenor velaryon's death and then marries her lenor secretly runs away with her with his lover karl khori so what do you guys think really happened in the happened in the books do you think they faked it there as well or was demon uh, was lenor really alive I think Lainer's probably I think Lainer's dead in the book. I think uh I think that that's like an entirely show thing, which is which is it's like an I think it's a really nice touch. Um I think I think in the book as well, I think it's heavily implied that Damon had something to do with it as well. So I think in the book he probably had something to do with that. Um but yeah, I I think in the show obviously definitely alive books. I think definitely definitely dead. And probably killed by Damon in some way, shape, or form. Hmm. Yeah. I'm with Sam. Yeah, honestly, I want to believe that he's alive somewhere. Because this story has um, what one could call a moraine of happy endings. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this is the Song of Ice and Fire. Or this is the world of Westeros. And... Um, nobody gets out alive. If, if, if you're, if you're of noble lineage, you're dead eventually, like, you know, and it's going to be horrible. So yeah, I I think, honestly, I think he's dead. I I think he was trying to flee and then he died and then that was it, you know, especially since, um, and do you think Damon was behind it? Um, honestly, no, I think that Damon did set up the passage, but then he died on the way. Um, specifically because if he, if Damon had something to do with it, um, the only thing he had to gain was Rhaenyra. And I don't think that that would have been enough to turn a whole house against him. Um, a house that he's already bound by because, you know, Auntie Ray Ray (laughs) or Auntie Nisi, um, was still there and, what we see with Damon Targaryen is he doesn't really have a whole lot of ethics, but he doesn't tend to kill family. You know, he's he's really big on, I'll do a whole lot of stuff, but he never drew a sword on his brother, even though he knew he could take his brother in a fight. Um, and if he was going to kill... Um, um, the Valerian dude, he could have done so at any time before that. So, you know, why the whole cat's paw political game? That's, that's not his bag. You know, his bag is I'm going to do something subtle and undiplomatic and then smirk and lean on something, (laughs) you know? So, yeah, I, I don't think that Damon had anything to do with his death. Okay, uh, moving on. When Lord Corlys is injured and Raymond Valerian goes to King's Landing to appeal to the High Towers about his claim on the Driftwood throne and calls uh, 
Rhaenyra and uh, Ahor and her son Bastards. Damon chops his head off. In the books, Wayward is Lord Corlys's eldest nephew, and when Rhaenyra hears about him trying to claim uh, Driftwood, uh, Driftmark, um, on the grounds of her sons being bastards, she sends Damon to seize Wayward, has him beheaded, and feeds his and feeds his body to her dragon Cyrax. When Wayman's younger cousins flee to King's Landing to cry for justice, Viserys listens to uh, listens in a story silence, then orders their tongues removed by saying, <laughs> "You were warned." <laughs> after they after they return to the Dragonstone uh, from King's Landing, Princess Rhaenys arrives with the news of Viserys's death, to which Damon uh, says, "The Greens have killed him," and starts preparing for war. Do you think Damon really believes uh, that uh, the Greens killed him, or uh, was he uh, just looking for a war? Mm. I think he honestly believes it. His distrust and hatred for Otto, the way Otto's been manipulating Viserys for years, I think he's pretty well convinced that the High Towers did him in just so that they could name their kids as the heirs to the throne. Yeah, I agree. I think he legitimately thought that uh, the High Towers killed him, which we're really not 100% sure about yet either. I mean, I don't think that Allison in the show tried to kill him, but like Otto had a whole small council that was on board about about like taking over. So he might not be entirely wrong, but I, I do think he thinks that they killed him. So we're in unanimous agreement here because <laughs> Damon understands how the game is played. And politically speaking, from the song uh, Game of Thrones, um, you know, Westerosi political thing, that is the smart move. You know, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, his relationship with Otto Hightower, seeing the seeing all of the ambition and understanding how the game is played, the game of ambition and the game of power. I honestly think that he believed it and for good reason. Whether or not it was true, <clears throat> I couldn't tell you. I'm not that politically savvy. But um, but the Damon character very much is, and I can see him believing that. He does sniff the cup uh, when he goes to meet Viserys. So we can uh, already see him suspecting the Greens for maybe giving him poisons or something. <laughs> Okay, moving on. When Sir Arik arrives in uh, with King Viserys's crown, Damon crowns Rhaenyra. In the books, it was Sir Stephen Darkling who brought the crown. Uh, Damon is not happy with her choice of not going to war, uh, and in his anger, he tries to choke Rhaenyra. Now, it doesn't happen in the books, but on the show, he gets. Uh, since he hears about the prophecy. Of a song of ice and fire, he gets mad and tries to choke her. He then goes to Vermithor and sings to uh, sings to him, preparing Vermithor to accept a new rider. Uh, and then, when the news of Luke's death arrives, arrives, Damon delivers the news to Rhaenyra, and we can see how angry she is. So maybe uh, Damon will probably get his will get his wish, and the war will begin. So that was uh, the deep dive on Damon Targaryen. Back to you, Sam. Awesome, thank you, Uzma. 
Next, we have our Raven's Eye segment where Solar will be taking, will be talking about the cinematography and directorial choices made and how they affected the show. To you, Solar. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Raven's Eye. <laughs> Hang on. Having a few camera problems here today. So, yeah, there we go. Look at that. Um, hey, everybody. How's it going? So, um, I wanted to talk about the framing of the main coronations and ceremonial power passing um, within the show. Now, I took a good, solid look at a lot of the different ceremonies. And one of the things I've noticed was the more pomp and circumstance there is, the more trouble that follows. If we take um, a good look, and I mean like a really good look, at the pseudo-coronation, if you will, of Rhaenyra being named the heir. Um, what we have is, um, oh, wait, wrong one. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Still getting used to this. Uh, no, I said stop sharing. Stop sharing. Um, what we have in this scene of Rhaenyra being named the heir is a smaller ceremony um, having everything to do with, um, with intimacy. It's a very intimate scene that's juxtaposed between the preparation for the coronation and the coronation itself. Now, when we get to the, this is what we're naming and who's down with it, you have the main hall of King's Landing and the lords of Westeros here saying, yeah, we're here. We're right there. So there we go. Um, and in this particular coronation, when she's being named the heir and we have the dramatic scene of um, King Viserys explaining to her what it means to be heir, we have just the lords from essentially the highest houses pledging their fealty to what's going to happen while of course Damon does his thing. Now, if we take a look at the next um the next major moment of coronation within the series what we have here is, of course, a huge ceremony. We're talking huggy. Okay, this thing is H-U-G-E, a huggy ceremony featuring everyone, okay? And we have this in the Dragon Pits where we have pomp, circumstances, the King's Guard doing their, um, look, walk through my swords and all that stuff. Um, and we have... Not just the noble lords, but the small folk as well. This is a huge ceremony with so much pomp and circumstance. Now, when we juxtapose this between Renera being named the heir and, um, and of course, um, <clears throat> the actual, um, the actual coronation of King Aegon, um, two major things happen 
which is one coronation, um, the naming of the heir, is witnessed mainly by the high lords. And that sparks this race of ambition and this backstabbing thing between just the high lords. And it really only affects the people that were at the ceremony. <laughs> um, where even when Viserys dies, we don't have any seeing of the small folk, really, until they're kind of herded into the dragon pits for the coronation. But whoever was there at Rhaenyra's naming as heir and assignment of Dragonstone and all that jazz were the ones that come back at the end of the season being forced to pledge allegiance again or be hanged. Um, when we look at the coronation of Aegon, everyone's there. And that leads to the war that affects everyone. Um, cinematically, there is very much a language of hugeness and efficacy. Um, with the small one, it was, okay, well, now we're going to see who our players are, who this is going to affect in the immediate timeline. And of course, everything that we're tuning into the show to see other than dragon fights. But when Aegon is crowned and it's ended with Princess Ray Ray, um, doing, um, proving once again who should have been ruling the kingdom from day one. Um, <laughs> lots of people die, and that is um, cinematically used to punctuate what is coming. It has always been used to punctuate what's coming. When Rhaenyra's when Rhaenyra's crowned, um, we have what's coming is. Something that's going to, going to affect the rich and powerful. And lucky you, you're not one of them, so you get to watch. But in Aegon's coronation, that is letting us know that shit is about to hit the fan and a lot of people are going to die. You know, not just during the ceremony, which again, baller. Um, but um, in the immediate future with the raising of the banners, the forming of the armies, and the fights between the Reds and the Greens. And um, um, so the juxtaposition between those two, I think, was a really smart, um, very smart um, directorial and productive move. However, there is another coronation that happens that has the same kind of foreshadowing, um, which is... Yet another quiet coronation of Princess uh, Princess Ray Ray. You know, we got Princess Rhaenyra um, essentially being named queen by good old Sir Eric or Arik or yeah, Sir Ricky. Um, and again, another small ceremony with very few witnesses. Um, so. One of the things that this is telling me as a guy that loves that camera pointing at the places is very much the smaller and more intimate of the ceremonies, the more emotionally impactful it is. And the larger the pomp and circumstance happens, 
the more, I, I guess you could say the more people there are, the more people that take shits and the more that's going to hit the fan. Um, I almost added the engagement dinner to this segment, <laughs> but we know that weddings already have a different place within the context of these series is, and that's another segment for another time. <laughs> so did you guys notice um, the difference in scale and foreshadowing? of the coronation ceremonies or the ceremonies having to do with the crowns, or is this just me being crazy? Uh, let's start with you, Sam. <laughs> no, I don't think you're crazy at all. I think it's, I think that there's like definitely foreshadowing there. I think it's very much like on purpose that Aegon had such a massive coronation because they kind of had to have a massive coronation. They, they like try, had to make it so legitimate and so, ridiculous so that like the small folk could see that he is the king whereas Rhaenyra didn't need all that didn't need all the bells and whistles she already was named heir she's already got the qualifications for it so like I think the subtle coronations of like of like her being named as heir being smaller and and her getting crowned was like a quiet thing that's like more of a sense of like yeah this is how it's supposed to be is with Aegon it's like it's like the person going out at the party being like, isn't this a great party? Isn't this so good? Aren't you having such a fun time at this party? Like, that's kind of how Aegon's coronation. I was before you were talking to me, damn. <laughs> right. And that's like kind of how coron- like Aegon's coronation felt. Just like a bunch of like, just so much happening to make it a to make it seem like he actually is king. So, Constance? Oh, I'm going to say that Rhaenyra's investiture ceremony, right, when she's named heir, is grand on its own scale because there's the pomp, there's the circumstance and it's, it's the show for the people that need to see this show. Right. It's like, they need to convince the high Lords of the land that she is the heir because she's a woman. If it was a guy, there would be no problem. Right. Just because of the way that the whole thing was the council of one Oh one and the general misogyny. But I think that that was a big deal on a smaller scale. Not lacking any of the grandeur, not lacking any of the the trappings of authority. She's wearing a necklace with the sigils of the seven houses that matches the crown that's on this, you know, on Viserys's head. Each of the high lords is bending the knee and pledging to swear fealty to her, like we discussed in the last episode. But then you have, in contrast, you have Aegon's ceremony, and Aegon needs to convince the people, right? That's that's who he has to convince. That's why it's a different kind of grandeur on a bigger scale. Because he's not going to be able to convince the lords. He needs to convince the people and have the people behind him. Because if the people say he's king, there's nothing Rhaenyra could do short of becoming a tyrant. And saying, no, I'm queen. Uh, <laughs> which at one point I think she was even considering. Just based off of my opinion of her. Uh, but Uzma, what do you think about the ceremonies? I think you're right. Uh, they know they can. Uh, there are two kinds of lords: one who are honorable and one who are ambitious. So they know the ambitious one they can bribe or buy, and uh, the honorables one uh, will never be on their side because uh, this uh, they will honor their oaths. So uh, they they have no choice but to turn to the small folks and you know them forcing the small folks into dragon pit and forcing them to watch the coronation you know what that reminded me of the hunger games (laughs) (laughs) 
remember how they used to force people to come uh, in the plaza and fo- they forced them to watch uh, and that's what uh, the greens were also doing they were forcing people to watch uh, so no one could deny that they had to accept that uh, yes we watched the coronation and uh, he is the king and you can see the difference between uh, Aegon's and Rhaenyra's coronation just through that uh, there were hundreds of people but you can't really guarantee anyone's loyalty and the greens uh, the whole uh, scene uh, was full of deception Aegon didn't even want to be king but he was dragged by Alicent and uh, put there whereas on Dragon uh, Dragonstone every single person present there was loyal to Rhaenyra they would support her and would die for her you can't say the same for Aegon's coronation <laughs> you know quality and quantity <laughs> <laughs> that's what my thought was nice <clears throat> nice now um i i like that you brought up that whole um you know the people that were there with um Rhaenyra were the actual loyal ones and i think um I think it was a wise writing choice to show um, the turning of Sir Arik um, to that side. The more and more he found out about Prince Aegon, um, and to have him do it, I honestly thought was a really good cinematic choice. Um, now, what I was asking as far as the as far as the symbolism um was um is there in your guys's eyes looking at the thing uh looking at the two ceremonies um that quality quantity um how does that reflect consequence in your guys's eyes As I said earlier, the smaller and more intimate the um, the scene or the ceremony, as it were, um, I guess the too long didn't watch is um, the smaller the scene of the ceremony, the smaller the body count that follows. Um, have you guys like really noticed that? Again, when Rhaenyra was crowned the heir, not a whole lot of people died. <laughs> you know, I think there was like maybe 10. You know, as Uzma brought up, there are two types of lords. Uh, the lords with ambition and the lords that are hanging in the gallery. I mean, <laughs> the ones that um, are honorable and obey their oaths. Um, R.I.P. Caswell. Hmm? Oh, R.I.P. yeah. R.I.P. Caswell. Yeah, good old Cadwell, <laughs> Ned Stark. You know, people that say, look, I swore an oath before, I ain't breaking it. But, um, yeah, one of the things that <clears throat> cinematically I noticed was the the more grand the ceremony, the higher the body count that follows. <laughs> you know, be it um, specifically the coronations or the decisions about the crown. If I recall in the first show... um. The coronation of King Joffrey didn't have a whole lot of people 
there in the same way. Of course, there was no question about who was who was going on the throne. But <clears throat> Cersei was coronated after blowing up the Vatican. <laughs> you know, followed by the body count that came in the season that people don't talk about. So I, I really get I, I really do get the feeling that the Game of Thrones cinematic language comes with comes in the form of large ceremonies are always followed by or large coronations are always followed by very immediate body counts. But what do you guys think? You know, maybe we should do a poll on this one. So, but <clears throat> with that being said, that is our Raven's Eye segment for this week. Um, next week, I have an idea, but I'm going to run it by the crew um, for, um, for ideas. So thank you guys. This is back to you, Sam. Cool. Thank you, Solar. And now for our main segment, Fire and Blood, where the whole council will dig into our chosen character's story. Uh, Uzma has a few questions for us. Okay, uh, since we are running out of time, let's, uh, we'll try to do it really quickly. Name one change that you liked from the books and one that you wished they had kept it uh, regarding Damon. Constance? Um, I like the fact that they made Misery's pregnancy uh, a bluff. I thought that was an interesting angle. Damon yeah. just saying, well, yeah, you'll get pregnant eventually. <laughs> uh, and the change I disliked was him not... Uh, the way he handed over the crown in the books is a lot more dramatic than the way he handed over the Driftwood crown to Viserys in the series. I like the book version better. He basically flies in in the middle of a tournament on Caraxes and just kind of lands yeah. and just kind of goes, Here! Big drama moment, but that's Damon for you. Yeah, wasn't in the uh, budget. Yeah, they couldn't afford it. <laughs> couldn't afford yet another dragon VFX scene. Uh, Solar, what what are your two moments? Um, the moment that I liked better was his confrontation on Dragonstone with Otto, followed by Rhaenyra. I, I liked that it was flushed yeah. out to that moment. And the one that I didn't like, actually, was the death of the bronze bitch. I liked that it was a mystery. And the way that it was filmed, you could tell that the director was trying to keep it a mystery. So it was like, I didn't cause the horse to panic and die, but I was there. I'm like, this is completely unnecessary and kind of dumb. Uh, the thing I wish they would have that I wish they would have kept is the Vaman being fed to the dragon. I think that would have been <laughs> really fun to see. Yeah, Was obviously not another yep another <laughs> budget <laughs> issue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the part that I did like, and this is I guess a bit of a Viserys one too. I loved the part where he like helped his brother up to the throne when he was just like oh, decrepit. Yeah, so I, that good. was like. That's like one of the best yeah, scenes. So yeah, it was one of the best scenes of the whole show. So I, I think that was like one of my favorite additions to the uh, to the show. Yeah. What and about it you? It wasn't Uzma? scripted. Yeah. It wasn't scripted. It right. just happened. And Made Matt it even Smith better. Actually, yeah. picked up the crown and kept shooting. It's like, oh, that's acting. That's so good. Well, you know, Matt Smith is Matt Smith. I love how much Matt. Matt yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love how much he understands Damon. Uh, it was his idea to give the news to Rhaenyra about Luke's death. That was uh, Matt Smith's idea. Oh. 
anyway the change i liked from in the show was that damon wanting to stay in pandos uh, with lena and not wanting to ha- uh, have anything to do with the politics of westeros it kind of proved that he was he also cared about his family and wasn't all about power so i liked that change and the one i wish uh, they had kept it was damon gathering the swords to support viserys uh, uh, his claim in during the great council of 11 ac I really would have liked to uh, see him support his brother like that. Okay, moving on to the next question. Name one action of uh, Damon that you liked and one uh, that you didn't like in season 1. Solar? Hmm, an action that I liked and an action that I didn't like. This yes. is a hard one because there's not much I didn't like from Damon. <laughs> um <laughs> one action that I really liked um about um what he did are one of the actions that he performed that I liked a lot was his Leroy Jenkinsing at the at the <laughs> step zones, you know. And he just went in saying, "Wait, my brother's sending he's sending what? Oh, he thinks I can't do this. No, nah, no. Nah, all right, I'll, I'll be right back. <laughs> sending back up in from me. I'm mean, yeah, who's he think he is, you know. Um and an action that I didn't like was he wasn't honest with his brother about um sex with Renira. I did not like that part where it was very much the um you know, is it true that you defile my daughter? Well, what if I did? You shouldn't you should let me marry her instead of a no, I didn't. <laughs> But simultaneously, mm-hmm. how could he? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, <laughs> What's what's to say? Well, I planned on it, but I couldn't get it up. So you know, it, it, it's kind of one of those things. So that that's where I'm at on that. Constance, uh, what I liked was uh, again, it's it, like I said, it's different from the books, but I liked him presenting the Driftwood Crown to his brother. I thought that was a very yeah. noble gesture to show that he, no matter what, he was still loyal to Viserys and pledging himself to his brother and his brother's kingdom. So I thought that was really cool. Um what I didn't like was um gosh it's it's again it's really hard to say he does he does so many things that are fascinating it's hard to say whether or not they're likable <laughs> I wish he had killed <laughs> Otto on Dragonstone but <laughs> but you had Cyrax and Rhaenyra there so that kind of screwed up that plan so <laughs> yeah he wanted to Cyrax and Rhaenyra showed up late <laughs> Yeah, Otto had, you know, Otto could have gotten his head swiped by Dark Sister. That would have been a great ending. You were so close. We know, so close. Uh Sam. Uh I pro- I mean, I think the the parts I liked with Damon of just any time he was talking to Otto, he was just like <laughs> always making sure he was like called out, you know, like he, or mm-hmm. if he was talking about Otto like He was always just like up Otto's ass and I loved the every second of it anytime cuz everybody else was always just like kind of, you know, they never really called Otto out or like they were dismissed easily and Damon was just like no, I don't like you and I and I fucking hate you. Uh like is if all I need is just like a wink from Viserys and you are done. So like I I enjoyed that. Um what I didn't like, I didn't like him choking Rhaenyra. That was messed up. Yeah. Was okay. really that's up. a yeah. good point. Yeah. It's just like I put no that on my for head. It. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of like I think that that was like yeah, I hated that. Not good. Yeah. 
Well, I liked about Damon uh, was Damon protecting Rhaenyra and her kids uh, in the throne room when Damon ac- accuses them. Yeah, Damon was like, "Say it," <laughs> and <laughs> then slash. <laughs> that was uh, like it's. Uh, we know that Damon loves Rhaenyra, but it also showed that he actually cares about her kids as well. The way he takes Jace to teach him how to. ensure loyalty of the king's guards and everything he cares about her children uh, just as much he cares about rainira so i really like that change what i didn't like was demon uh, killing rea royce or time flight killing i think um, most of the fandom believes that he has killed her uh, so i didn't like that part uh, i wish he had gotten divorced maybe but uh, Did that really really happen in Westeros? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> anyway, moving on to the next question, uh, which character from Game of Thrones do you think is most like Daemon and why? Uh, Sam, I'm gonna go with Oberyn Martell. I think. I uh, I think like there's like. little bit there's like the non like we don't really know i guess that much about Oberyn Martell from the books he's with his limited we we know a lot about his background but his like limited book time he was still a badass and we all know it so like really good fighter um you know he's got the family background he's a second son um probably a little chip on his shoulder once a little got a little bit of ambition um and kind of doesn't give a shit and like we'll call you kind of out on anything. So like I I think I'm going to go with Oberyn Martell. Yeah. Constance? I'm going to go with a controversial choice and say Bronn. Nice. Bron? He's excellent. He's an excellent fighter. He doesn't give a yeah. shit about politics. <laughs> he's he's loyal in a way that's hard to describe, right? I mean, we know that Bronn has a degree of loyalty, but not necessarily mm-hmm. anything that you can count on. and he's slightly unpredictable like David. And he ran the gold cloaks. And yes, there's the gold cloaks. <laughs> Sola? See, this is a tough one. My initial thought when you asked me this question is Jamie Lannister. I went to Jamie too. I thought the same too. <laughs> yep. You know, yeah. because um it, it's the no dude, this guy is a monster. Don't trust this guy. Don't trust this guy. And then when you take a decent look at him, it's like Nah, dude, everything he did, he did for the exact right reason and there was no other way to do what he did. <laughs> like everything. Like like he he never broke his word. Um except for when he broke his word, but he only broke his word when there was no way of breaking his word, so he always erred on the side of what was most right at the time. You know, when you take a look at Damon at least in the beginning of the story where this where this TV show covers in the books everything that he was doing was for the benefit of the realm overall and his family you know i mean seriously he was the only person who knew what kind of a threat the high towers were to everything and the whole time he was going i'm not really allowed to say it but don't trust them <laughs> like don't 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 do that. It's a bad idea having them around. Hey bro, you would be better if I were hand and Otto wasn't. That's just your ambition, you know. The only thing that was missing from that argument was and I would be bad at it. 
<laughs> like I would be a terrible hand, but I'd still be better for you than that bastard, you know? And that's really where he like strikes the Jamie Lannister bit for me, you know? Um, not just with the incest, um, <laughs> but he's got the fighting prowess, the reputation, and the fact that he always does what's right in the name of the kingdom, which is weird because he does it in the worst way, be it um, massive amounts of capital punishment as an example before attorney, <laughs> um, um, all the way to even looking at Corliss Valerian saying, I can talk about my brother any way I want. You can't, <laughs> you know, like I know my brother's an idiot, but he's still your king and not your brother. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and that was very much how Jamie looked at everyone talking about Tyrion. So that that's that's kind of where I see it. But not going to lie, when Sam spoke up, I kind of wanted to change my answer because I do <laughs> see a lot of the red viper in him, too. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> He's even got the dragon with a like a long neck, you know, just matches. <laughs> and a paramour. So, yeah, <laughs> paramour. My choice is a little different. Uh, just like Solar, my first thought was was Jamie, but the more I thought about it, uh, I thought there was another uh, character that suited him more. It's uh, Tyrion Lannister. Tyrion. And me, yeah, maybe even Tywin, but uh, Tyrion, because uh, the way George describes Jamin is that he was a man who was capable of great things, but he was also capable of terrible things. He was a great man, but also a monster. And uh, uh, somehow I can't picture Jamie going, uh, doing something uh, too ho horrible. Like there are limits that Jamie won't cross. Uh, and uh, for example, uh, Tyrion had sin uh, Simon Silver tongue uh, chopped into little pieces and made into a soup just to hide his secret uh, uh, from about Shay because he knew about him and Shay. I don't think Jamie would have been able uh, to do that. Jamie was uh, kind of like doing everything in front of, uh, like, killing him. Uh, would he, Jamie would have ch challenged him or killed him in front of everyone. And maybe, uh, I think Ty Tywin also uh, suits this. Okay, I'll switch my answer to uh, Tywin. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because uh, we know what uh, Tywin did at the Red Wedding and everything. Okay, so that's all for Fire and Blood. Back to you, Sam. Awesome. Thank you, Uzma. Uh, for our final segment, we have Fans of the Dragon, where Uzma and Constance will give us trivia polls about the World of Ice and Fire and questions and comments from you, the listeners. All you, Uzma and Constance. Okay, as usual, we'll start with our trivia for tonight. Uh, what is our political slogan on this election night episode? Uh, <laughs> it was earlier in the discussion. Uh, mm -hmm. So just go ahead and send that in to us if you remember what that slogan of ours was for this week's episode. So it's so topical. That's It is topical. It's election night. So, you know, figure a political slogan is a good way to go. Uh, but Uzma, I believe you had taken a poll for us about who we were going to feature, right? Yeah. It's a poll about Damon. And the question for the poll is, what are Damon's motivations behind his actions? Uh, 
what's at the core core of his heart and on twitter 37 uh, there's a tie 37.5% people voted for protecting his family and 37.5 people uh, voted for iron for the iron throne and the power on uh, youtube 57% fans uh, voted for protecting his family and loved ones and 27% of fans voted for iron throne as for on facebook 57% uh, fans voted for protecting his family 16% uh, fans voted for glory and someone even added the option loves for so <laughs> what are your thoughts about it <laughs> uh, let's start with uh, solar I am all there for protecting his family. Although, since it is um election night and I'm a proponent for ranked choice voting, my second yeah. choice would be chaos. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, honestly, I, I said it earlier. He he always looks out for his family. He genuinely cares about his brother and genuinely loves his niece and genuinely loves all of their children. And he sees how the game goes. So, yeah, I, I, I would be in that. Uh, I would be in that fifty-seven percent right there. You know, that, that's what I see. And his love of leaning on things. <laughs> Constance, I agree. I think it's family, uh, family and on family and duty first, because you can see how much he loved Viserys, and how what lengths he was going to go to in order to protect Viserys. And then we see what lengths he's willing to go to for Rhaenyra. So it's definitely protecting his family. Sam? I'd probably say it's a, it's a bit of a mix of protecting his family and, and, uh, and power. Like, I think, especially when he, like, gets unnamed as heir, I think that the whole, like, step Stepstone's king and even, like, when, uh, when Rhaenyra is, like, you know, she's supposed to be queen, he kind of, like, almost, like, steps on her toes a bit, like, trying to take over himself. So I think that there's a bit of, bit of like, I, he definitely loves his family, and I think a lot of that is, like, what his motivations are. But I do think that there's a little bit of power as well. Okay, uh, so that's all for uh, Fans of the Dragon segment. Back to you, Sam. Uh, we've got one more, actually. We've got our eulogy for this week. Mm. Uh, sorry. It's okay. Uh, so today we want to honor a minor character who nonetheless made a difference in Damon's life. We're talking about the murderer he killed the night the gold cloaks took back Flea Bottom. <laughs> it helped to show that Damon is a get your hands dirty kind of leader. So, rando murderer dude, we salute you. Justin, <laughs> please. Our actual eulogy is going to be for someone else that made a difference in Damon's life, his first wife, Rhea Royce. The Royces of Runestone blaze in their arms with black iron studs on bronze, bordered with runes, and their motto is, We Remember. The Royces are proud of their descent from the first men, and have several sets of ancient bronze armor plate engaged with runes that are thought to make their bearers immune to injury. The truth that this has been called into question, however, has quite a few Royces have died while wearing them, including Rhea. Uh, we know very little of her, other than they were married in 97 AC. She's from the Vale, where the men fuck sheep and you cannot fault them. Their sheep are prettier than their women. And this is one of my favorite book lines that they worked right into the series. So I was very pleased to hear that. Uh, she's the lady of House Royce and heir to the seat of Runestone. And she wears the runic bronze armor, which is why Damon calls her his bronze bitch. 
Now, we see her in her armor on the series while riding, and it bears actual Scandian runes, which read, If a man wounds another man while the king is in the province, he shall pay a fine for the wound in accordance with the law, and 40 marks to the king, and 40 marks for the breach of peace to the one who was wounded. So it, it, even her armor kind of talks about wounds and, and damages and, and, you know, being assaulted. So that's kind of telling. Um, more than once, Viserys sent Damon back to the Vale in the hopes he would settle down and produce heirs. But he's only happy when he's in chaos and he definitely doesn't like Rhea. It's even implied by Rhea that he has impotence issues, but it could just be that he doesn't find her at all attractive, which is why he can't get it up for her. Um, as we said earlier, according to the book, she dies in 115 while he's down in Bloodstone in the Stepstones, and she fell off her horse while hawking and cracked her skull, was in bed for nine days until she got up and then she just died. Uh, he flew to the Vale to try to claim the seat of Runestone for himself, only to have it passed to Rhea's unnamed nephew. And then the Airy told him to bugger off when he tried to appeal that decision, so... Uh, according to the series, Damon goes to talk with her, and as he approaches, her horse shies and she falls. Damon picks up a rock and fit. screen, you know, shift scene. So there's a little interpretation. Did he actually kill her? Did he just let her linger and die? Did he just walk away and let nature take its course? We don't know. They they left it ambiguous, so it's I guess up to up to today. You know, your your interpretation of whether or not he killed her. Uh, send your comments in to us. Let us know what you think. You know, the usual Twitter, Facebook, email platforms that, you know, Sam will share with you in a moment or two. But today we honor Rhea Royce. All men must die. <laughs> and that's it for our eulogy. All right. That is our episode. Uh, please follow us on Facebook at A-W-P-O-I-A-F and Twitter at Ice and Fire Party. And email us at watchpartyoficeandfire at gmail.com. If you're <clears throat> watching on YouTube, feel free to comment below. Uh, big thank you to our Lord of Editing, Jordan Reynolds, for editing and putting the episode together. Uh, legend. This episode, he's an absolute legend. Check out our friends <laughs> over at Watch Party Lord of the Rings who have all the lore and discussion you could need dealing with the Rings of Power series. Uh, we also have our pals at Watch Party Wheel of Time with anything and everything you need about that universe and series. This has been a production of the Watch Party Network. Thank you again for listening. Uh, we are your hosts, Solar. Valar Morgulis. Constance. We remember. Uzma. Valar Morgulis. And myself, Sam. Valar Morgulis.